Well, let's turn to Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 13 in your Bible. Luke 11, 1 through 13. Last week I began a message entitled, A Short Course on Prayer. Well, it didn't turn out to be that short. I don't even think it's possible to preach a short course on prayer. Uh, So this is part two, (laughs) and I hope to finish. But verses uh, 1 through uh, 13 to me is one of the best uh, passages in all the scripture on on prayer for like a a concise, compact uh, crash course on prayer. Uh, Turn people to Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 13. And so by way of review, we saw in verse 1 last time, I'll try to go quick through the review. I know we have the Lord's Supper too tonight. Um, We saw two things about our Lord in verse 1. First of all, that he had a certain place for prayer. And uh, second of all, that he had a certain time for prayer. Uh, It's obvious uh, when it says it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, there was just a certain place. In fact, later we, we know where they found him. When, uh, when they even came to arrest him, that he, 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 had, he had such a reputation of going to that place of prayer uh, that they knew exactly where, Judas knew exactly where he would be and when he would be there uh, to come up and betray him. And uh, that'd be nice if we could be caught too. Uh, praying, and uh, if somebody could say to us, I know where he is at a certain time, I know where she is at a certain time, every single day, uninterrupted, unbroken, they are in this certain place of prayer. Then he had a certain time, it says, and when he had ceased. And so the prayer time ceases. Prayer doesn't. We're told pray without ceasing. But prayer time ceases because you've got to go on with your day. And so he had a certain place, he had a certain time. We saw that in verse number one. And then he was asked by the disciples uh, to teach them to pray and uh, because they saw his example of prayer, but they also saw another example in their day, and that was John, verse 1. John the Baptist was a man of prayer who taught his disciples how to pray, and so they had two examples to look up to, Jesus and John, and I want to encourage you to be an example for others to look up to. In your life, uh, so that prayer can be passed on. And maybe a kid can say, My mom used to pray, my dad prayed, and I know I caught it from them how to pray. And John made it a point to teach his disciples how to pray. That must have been interesting uh, to see him teaching his disciples how to pray. And so Jesus uh, honors this request Lord, teach us to pray. And he said unto them, When you pray, say, And then we alliterated this uh, portion of Scripture here, this model prayer, this outline prayer. It's not something we're supposed to repeat as a vain repetition. And uh, I know there are some people that just repeat the Our Fathers as a vain repetition. We are warned against using vain repetitions in prayer. And so in Matthew's account, he writes it down this way. He says, After this manner, therefore, pray ye, our Father which art in heaven. We don't have to recite the words, although I think every one of us should memorize this prayer word for word because it is an outline. And we used an alliteration last week very quickly. Our Father, that's paternity. 
which art in heaven, that's a place. In other words, he's a special father. We're not talking about our fathers. Fathers everywhere. But there's one father in heaven. I always point to the north. Our father, which art in heaven, a place. Hallowed be thy name. That's priority. Is that we recognize when we're coming into the presence of our father, which is in heaven, that he is holy. Hallowed be thy name. That's priority. There's a priority on holiness. Thy kingdom come, that's the program we should pray for. Uh, Pray for the kingdom of God, and that's what we're trying to do is kingdom building. I mean, it would be nice if the Faith Bible Baptist Church built up some, wouldn't it? I mean, we're seeing some better attendances now than we were in the spring, which is good for the summer. Praise the Lord for that. It usually goes the opposite way. But we're talking about kingdom building, not our kingdom, but His kingdom. And so everything we do, whether it's these reports we've heard tonight about missions and everything, we just want to build the kingdom of God all around the world as well as here in Eden. Uh, whether our church grows or not, uh, we want to pray for his kingdom his, and for thy will to be done in earth as it is in heaven. That's the plan. Um, if we can somehow imagine what heaven's like and how everybody in heaven even the holy angels do exactly what god says all the time they're always obedient that's what the will is for those down here on earth that i mean everyone in heaven's saved so let's pray for everyone on earth to be saved everyone in heaven obeys the lord let's pray for everyone on earth to uh, uh, uh praise the lord and be holy and 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 all those let's use heaven as a model for our prayer uh, that's the plan. Then provision for ourselves. Give us this day our daily bread. And uh, we do need to pray about ourselves and our, our needs. Forgive us our debts. That's pardon. Lead us not into temptation. And we've got to forgive others too. Lead us not into temptation. That's protection in the spiritual warfare that never ends. Never ends. Tomorrow you're right back at it. Doesn't matter whether we've had a good day or not today. Is There's... Warfare tomorrow with the old world, the flesh, and the devil. We need to pray for protection. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And then in Matthew's account, it goes on and says more. It says, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. That's preeminence. The preeminence is on God, not on us. And that's hard to understand in a humanistic country like what we live in. But the preeminence is thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. So we went through that. Then we got into the subject of importunity. Prayer does not end at verse three or 4, but Jesus teaches us a story about importunity. It's the only time you'll see that word is in verse 8. But verses 5, 6, 7, and 8, he tells a story that illustrates what importunity is, and that's the story of the friend who goes to his friend's house at midnight, and he starts knocking, and he says, I need some bread. Could you lend me some loaves? I have travelers that have come to my house. I don't have anything to give to them. And uh, his friend inside says, don't trouble me. Uh, The door's shut. I've locked up for the night. My kids are in bed with me here. I can't rise and give to thee. Verse 8, I say unto thee, though he will not rise and give him because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity. Importunity. 
And uh, we studied importunity last week. Uh, that means to stubbornly or unreasonably be persistent. Would that describe your prayer life? To be stubbornly or unreasonably persistent in a request or demand. That's where we left off last week. Now we take the spirit of importunity in verses 5, 6, 7, 8, and we apply that to verse 9 and 10, and we find one of the great secrets to answered prayer. And I say unto you, ask, verse 9, and it shall be given you, seek, and ye shall find, knock, and it shall be opened unto you, for every one that asketh receiveth, and he that findeth, or he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. And so you've got to take the word importunity from verse 8 and apply it to verse 9 and 10 because it just smoothly transitions into that thought. So verse 9 is saying, And I say unto you, who ask, and it shall be given you. Or ask in an importunate way. Keep asking and asking and asking. And keep seeking and seeking and seeking. And keep knocking and knocking and knocking. Because this works for everyone every time, verse 10, it never fails, for everyone that asketh in an importunate way, not just once and they give up, and everyone that seeks for some truth or some open door or whatever in an importunate way, never gives up, and to him that knocks and knocks and knocks and knocks and knocks and never gives up, it shall be opened. So you got to take verse 8. And realize that that's what he's teaching about verse 9 and 10. And uh, I want to encourage you to understand in this short course on prayer, the importance of importunity. Importunity, never giving up, no matter who tells you it's not going to happen, it's not going to work, they'll never get saved, they'll, uh, that'll never happen for you, it's impossible today. Um... You know, sometimes people are looking for someone to marry, and it just—it almost looks impossible. It almost looks absolutely impossible to find candidates. Uh, but the person who prays and prays and prays and prays and prays—I always say to those looking, pray, promise, and prepare. Uh, if you're looking for a mate, there's nothing wrong. Marriage is honorable in all, right? Hebrews thirteen four. I know I'm going on a rabbit trail here, but. Uh, Pray, promise, and prepare. Pray and promise God, God, if you give me a husband, if you give me a wife, I will do what the Bible says. Uh, And then prepare. Uh, Promise that you'll take care of that person as God's child. And then you prepare by studying everything you can. And and boy, I tell you, I, I think God would look down and say, hey, he's really prepared or she's really prepared. And they've promised me they'll take care of their mate because that's my child they're marrying. That's, that's, that, this is just what I did um, with Leslie, as I promised God before I ever married her. God, she's your child. I'll take care of her as best I can, as long as I can. As long as you lend her to me, I will remember she's God's child. And I also remember she's Roy and Janet's child. And I promised them too. And uh, so you pray, then you promise, then you prepare. By studying everything you can about marriage, is great stuff right over here. It sits there collecting dust. 
And it, it could be studied and you could get it in your mind. So it, sometimes I think marriages would last more if people just knew what they were doing. Anyways, I've got to get back to prayer. Um, but, but there's so many examples we could put and stick into verses 9 and 10 where you can't just ask. You can't just ask, oh, God, save my uncle. That's great, but, but it's got to go beyond asking sometimes. Ask, the guy could ask for a job all he wants and sit around for the phone to ring. Or he can seek and he can knock. And he can keep doing it day after day after day. Ask, seek, and knock till God finally opens the door for him to get a good job. Uh, sometimes the, the old saying is you've you got to put feet to your prayers. You got to put feet to your prayers, and God will bless that as you as you go forward. Now, the next thing this short course on prayer teaches in verses eleven and and twelve is to be specific. Specific prayers get specific answers. If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he, the father? Give him a stone. Well, what's the answer to that, obviously? No. If a son comes to his father and says, I'm hungry, Dad, could I have something to eat? His father, any good father, says, sure, son. What would you like? And uh, if he says bread, the father would give him bread. He wouldn't go out and grab a stone and say, here, eat this. Uh, Or if he shall ask a fish, Will he for a fish give him a serpent or a snake? Or if he shall ask an egg, will he give, offer him a scorpion? And so these are what I guess you call them facetious questions. And uh, the answers are obvious. That when you specifically ask God for something, you get specific answers back. And so you got to be specific in your prayers. It's like the uh, oh, was it? it just slipped my mind. I read a story about a oh boy, Art Wilson was the great preacher in the old days. He used to come around here in Western New York too. I think it was him. But uh, back in the, he was he was praying with the young evangelist. He was an evangelist. He was praying with the young evangelist, and, and the young evangelist was praying. They were on their knees and. The young evangelist said, Lord, I need a car. God, give me a car. Only, any old ramshackle car will work. And he stopped him. The old evangelist stopped the young evangelist and said, don't ever pray to God like that. God's not in the junk business. Be specific. I've heard about people who've been specific on what kind of a husband they wanted, what kind of a wife they wanted, what kind of a house, what kind of a neighborhood, what kind of a car, what kind of a job. And God gave them specific answers to specific prayers. Now, finally, in verse 13, um, I, want, uh, I want to go through the Bible here. And if you have a pen, uh, I want to encourage you to literally circle the, these words I'm going to give you. We're going to go through a bunch of verses here on power. And I want you to circle them because sometimes if you circle them or underline them or highlight them or something, the next time you read it, it kind of jolts. Uh, it happens to me where it jolts. Oh, yeah, I remember 
three years ago, and some guy preached this, and I made this note in my Bible. And it brings it back fresh to you. And uh, so, anyone need a pen? Okay, Kyle, can you get the pens underneath the usher stand there and just uh, uh, get them around? Anybody who needs a pen, please, please, this is very important as I close the message tonight. The words we're going to circle are going to change your life as it changed my life. And we're going to start back, we're going to read verse 13. This is the prayer that I pray more than any prayer in my life. Anyone else need a pen? Wave your hand around. Wave your hand around if you need a pen. Okay? Thank you. Um, There's not a verse in Scripture in all the Bible, all 66 books, that I pray more than verse number 13. I constantly pray this verse. Jesus said, If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? Now, I don't know what it means to this day. I don't completely know what it means, but I know what it doesn't mean. And I, I, I know what it's like to have the Holy Spirit, and I know what it's like to not have the Holy Spirit, and to toil in your flesh and be ineffective and have no influence. Um, but then I know other times when there has been effectiveness and there has been influence. And so I have prayed to God, the prayer I've prayed more in my life than any other prayer is, God, give me the Holy Spirit. Give me the Holy Spirit. No matter what it is, if I'm going home, uh, I, I would say, give me the Holy Spirit. Help me, Holy Spirit. I have fellowship or what's called communion with the Holy Ghost. And, and that third person of the Trinity, Satan does not want us to know about him. And he wants us to keep in the dark about you and the Holy Spirit. Now, whatever this means, just do it because Jesus said so. Just do it, whether you ever understand it in this life or not. Jesus said, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? And in praying this prayer sincerely, we find the secret to power. And uh, do you want to live a powerful life? Do you want to have an influence on some others? Do you want to have an effective ministry? Do you want to be an effective parent? Do you want to be an effective uh, soul winner, an effective teacher, preacher, effective when you sing? Have you ever heard some people sing and the Holy Spirit is all over them? And others, nothing happens. You've been in church services where the Holy Spirit was there. Other times you've been in church services nothing happened. And uh, you have gone soul winning. Nothing happened. Other times the power of God was present. And that is the Holy Spirit. So I want you to turn with me to Matthew 10 and verse 1. And I'm going to encourage you to circle certain words in these verses. Or underline them or highlight them or whatever you got with you. So that the next time you're reading your Bible, it is going to jolt maybe the memory of this service tonight about what Jesus can do and how this is repeated over and over again. In Matthew 10 and verse 1, 
Circle the words, He gave them power. I have them highlighted in my life and in my Bible. He gave them power. That's what Jesus did. He gave them power. Now, as we begin to go through these verses here, I want to ask you this question. Is Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever? Okay? So if in His day He gave them power, and they were not necessarily deserving of that power, they were kind of a messed up bunch. Uh, You know, it's like the power of God or communion. We have the Lord's Supper. You don't have to be perfect to take communion. Man, those guys, right after they took communion... They went out and all forsook them and fled before the night was over. It's a time where we remember Christ crucified. Yes, we should try to come clean. We know that. We we know all about the Lord's Supper. But it's the same thing with He gave them power. I'm looking at that statement. One day I just read that far, and all of a sudden those words popped out of the Bible. He gave them power. And I said, These weren't angels. These were guys struggling. Uh, They were new to the faith. They were babes in Christ. Really, they'd only known Christ for a couple years. Or here they were just getting started. But He gave them power. Turn to Mark chapter 3, verse 15. We've been studying Mark. And on your way to Mark, stop at Matthew 28 real quick. And underline these words in verse 18, Matthew 28, 18, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. All power, uh, circle those words, all power is given unto me. And, and, and do you think he wants to keep it to himself? You think Jesus has all this power, this omnipotence, and he wants to keep it to himself? You know, Brethren, let's just be humble and honest tonight. There is a power outage in the church today. We, We can go through the motions, and I can go through the motions, you can go through the motions, but there's not the effectiveness and the influence upon society that there once was and upon sinful souls like there once was. I mean, we read stories about what God did in New York through men like John R. Rice and Charles Finney, and it blows your mind. It's like, it's like somebody made up a fantasy. Uh, but there was such power because there was such holy living. Holy living brings power, and, there, and there's no shortcuts. We cannot be, you cannot fake the power of God. I cannot fake the power of God. And if there is a power outage, uh, if there is a grid that goes out in town, especially in the wintertime, they get all of the people from national grid they can, emergency, they don't care what the weather is out there. They said there's a power outage. Figure out why there's a power outage and let's get the power back on. And uh, brethren, we should be concerned about the church. 
praise the Lord for some influence and some wonderful testimonies we even had tonight of what God has done. What God has done. But there was a time when the power of God and the power of God's people was so great in our nation. I mean, they brought about prohibition once. Who? The believers. Uh, For 14 years. And uh, police stations were closed down because there was no crime to fight. There There was revivals and there were days, some of us remember days in our life where unless you were a conservative, you couldn't get elected to anything in this nation. Uh, and, and we remember the profound power of God. All power. Jesus has power. He doesn't want to keep it to himself. But if there's a power outage in the church, it's because Jesus is keeping himself because the church is not worthy of him to give it to. And so now turn to Mark chapter 3, verse 15. And circle the words in verse 15, and to have power. It says, he might send them forth to preach and to have power. Turn to Mark 6 and verse 7. Mark chapter 6, verse 7. And gave them power. He called unto them his twelve, verse 7, and began to send them forth two and two, and gave them power. Circle those words, and gave them power. Again, this is God giving them power as they went out, two and two. In Luke chapter number 9, Luke chapter number 9, I hope you got your pens going here. Luke chapter 9 and verse number 1. Then he called his twelve disciples together and gave them power and authority. And gave them power and authority. Circle those words. Let them affect you the next time you read your Bible. Say, wait a minute, Jesus did this for guys that weren't that great, but they were available and they were willing and they prayed. Chapter 10, Luke 10, 19. Luke 10, 19. Behold, I give unto you power. Circle those words in your Bible, verse 19. I give unto you power. I give unto you power. Luke 24. Luke 24. 49. Luke 24, 49. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. Circle those words, ye be endued with power. Don't trust your memory. Circle them, underline them, highlight them or something. Don't trust your memory. So that the next time you're reading through the Bible, this, this repetition will remind us, remind us, Folks, I remember a day when preachers used to say, you know, get yourself some three-by-five cards. 
print on them the words, pray for power. Tape one to the uh, dashboard of your car. Tape one to the mirror where you shave every day. Uh, and, and, and tape one to uh, the back of your door or something as you go out. Pray for power, pray for power, pray for power. And boy, some of those guys just had mountain-moving ministries with just staggering results that lasted. Uh, we mentioned the independent Baptist revivals of the 50s and 60s and 70s and 80s. And, and how there were no independent Baptist churches in the 1950s. Zero. And then it began. And now there's 14,000. What's that called? Fruit that remains. Fruit that remains from those men and women who sought the power of God on their lives in the 50s and the 60s and, the, and they separated themselves from the heathen, the ungodly. They even separated themselves from the Southern Baptist, Northern Baptist, American Baptist, and any other compromisers. They didn't want anything. They had personal separation, holiness, and ecclesiastical separation uh, from the ecumenical movement and even compromising Baptists. They just separated themselves. And God gave them power. And what they did, and, 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 and it's sad because some of these modern independent Baptist preachers are criticizing their, 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 uh, the ways that brought such results. It's sad. Terry, until you be endued with power from on high. And so for 10 days, the church at Jerusalem prayed for 10 days, God give us power. And then the Holy Ghost came down upon them. Again, they weren't perfect. Uh, man, you get into the book of Acts and all kinds of uh, problems in the church. The leaders weren't perfect. Turn to Acts chapter 1. I'm almost done here. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But ye shall receive power. Circle those words in Acts chapter 1, verse 8 in your Bible. Ye shall receive power. Ye shall receive power. Ye shall receive power. We need power. We need to pray for power. Acts 4.33. Acts 4.33. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And by the way, I always tell you, preach the resurrection. If you're arguing with an atheist, an agnostic, a secular humanist, an evolutionist, or whoever, don't try to bring up science. Ask them, what about the resurrection of Christ from the dead? And then stop and make them answer. They preached with great power the resurrection of the dead. Circle those words there in verse 33. With great power. With great power. And last of all, Acts 6 and verse 8. We'll see how this is an individual thing. And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. Stephen had was full of faith and power. And we, we need to just be so humble. Uh, that if there's a power shortage, we were uh, yesterday. We had a power shortage on the uh, 
golf cart. We couldn't get that thing moving for nothing. And uh, I said, man, I cannot take this in the parade tomorrow. We got all the tracks loaded in the back, and we've we got to get this thing working. There's something wrong here. Something's causing a power outage. And there was about six hoses on the thing, gas line hoses and air vacuum hoses, and we took off every one and <coughs> blew them out, and finally we were blowing stuff out of the hoses. And we found out that there was a blockage in some of the hoses, and we blew it out, and then we reattached the hoses, and it ran just great. Ran great today. And uh, we, we had all kinds of debris and, and garbage right in the gas tank. Uh, so that where the pump was sucking up the gas, there was all this debris around that that was clogging. We had to get that junk out of there. We had these big long prong thing, and we're pulling just weeds and leaves and and the gas cap on the inside fell apart into pieces and it was down in the gas. And we're pulling all this stuff out. We got rid of all the things that blocked it. And it ran great. It had power today to go the whole length. It really, It's running nice, running really nice. But we had to find the problem. And this is where I, I don't know if we're humble enough to do this today. I really don't know if we're humble enough to say, hey, the church is having a power outage. We're seeing some influence and some effectiveness, but man, I'm going to close by reading this before we go to the Lord's Supper. In Romans chapter 1, this is a humbling verse right here. It's about our Lord, and tonight's about Him. Acts chapter 1 and verse 4. Says about Jesus, talks about Jesus in verse 3, and declared to be the Son of God with power, verse 4. Notice this now, according to the Spirit of holiness. According to the Spirit of holiness. Declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the Spirit of holiness. I want you to notice that holiness and power go together. We are living in days that are so unholy, so ungodly. And we're getting used to it as believers, and we're going through the motions. But there's not the effectiveness and the influence that there used to be. Um... When people were pursuing holiness and people would keep their televisions off and then oh my the invention of the computer and now the stinking cell phones that just bring junk to our minds all day every day. And we wonder why there's a power outage. And it's, it's almost an unbreakable addiction. It's just uh, it's, it's the greatest addiction in our country, in our, in our world today, is the cell phones. And there's so much evil and darkness on there. And it has grieved and quenched the Holy Ghost. But we can change. We can change. And that's why we come to church. And uh, we can say, I'm putting this thing away. Uh, I'll use it to phone call, text, whatever.
send a picture now and then. But, um, man. Well, we're going to have the Lord's Supper. So there is a short course on prayer and power. And we're going to have the men prepare to distribute the Lord's Supper. Thank you for your attention tonight. I know it's been a busy, hot weekend, but a good one. And uh, may the Lord revive our spirits, give you rest tonight. Help us with this week coming up. And, uh, boy, pay the price for personal holiness. So we want to take time and examine ourselves, as that's what we do. And uh, maybe the sermon tonight was convicting. I was preaching to myself. I'm not going to kid you. Verse 28, 1 Corinthians 11 says, But let a man examine himself, and let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. Verse 31, For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. And uh, how, how are we doing? Influence, effectiveness on others. Do we have power? Is the power of God evident? And uh, what about holiness? Personal holiness. Let's examine ourselves for a little bit here. Before the Lord's Supper, let's judge ourselves. And uh, as we like to say, come clean before God. And if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins before we receive the Lord's Supper. Would you bow for a word of prayer and pray privately between you and your God?